Views and opinions expressed by the hosts are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of their employers. This podcast may not be suitable for children. Adults may find details triggering and or offensive. Listener's discretion is advised. Hi, everyone. This is Norma. And this is Priscilla. And you're listening to... It's the mystery for me. (laughs) I wish you guys could see Norma's face. Welcome to track 11. I know, 11. We've come a long way. We have. I say this every week. But the consistency is just, it's real and it's honestly not easy. So every time I get to sit here and say like, yes, another week, that's why. But also, it's also very like morbid because another week means there's another story to tell. Yeah. Um, I hope everyone did have a really great week. I'm distracted right now because the guy outside our window is playing ping pong. Look, across from us. Bob. Norma named him Bob. I just Bob. named him Bob. He plays ping pong. He and plays it's like, ping pong he like every. Close his blinds. Who's he playing with this week? Same dude as usual. Okay, same dude. I don't know. They might be roommates. I, I call them Bob and brothers. Tom. But Bob, the ping pong player, is at it. But anyways. Back to this. I hope everyone had a really, really great week. I know for me, I was super busy working. I work full time as a corporate lawyer. And so like the work does not stop in big law. Big law means big hours. So it's been keeping me really busy. What about you, Norma? Anything going on? Oh, my weekend was great. Oh, yeah. You were in the Hamptons. I was in the Hamptons. um, But it was like my first mini vacation in a very long time i needed it yeah you've been working hard this summer so you definitely needed some downtime um but uh back to the podcast and podcast related things if you guys are loving the podcast we encourage you to leave a review on apple spotify or whatever platform you're listening to us on because that's what helps us with getting more listeners and getting more i don't know Notoriety, I guess, is the word. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to say before we go on, Norma? Not I don't think so. Nope. Okay. Who do you got for me this week? Ugh, Norma, I got a story for you. Well, this story is going to take us back to 1993. So you would have been one years old. I would have been mm-hmm. two. And we're going back to Washington, but this time we're in Spanaway, Washington. Before I get into Linda's case, let's talk about the sources really quick. I watched an episode of On the Case with Paula Zahn. It was season 14, episode 14. 
Um, and yeah, it gave me a lot of details about Linda's case, but as always, it didn't give me all the details because I found a little bit more details in court readings that I, well, in court documents I found, of course, the murderer appeals the case as they do, you know, they, they always want to appeal the, the sentence that they get. And are we surprised guys? No. So I got some information from that and, of course, from other like sources like news articles and whatnot. To see more of today's sources, please check out our website at isthemysteryforme.com. So here we go. This is a Linda Robinson story. Linda Robinson was born on December 14, 1955, making her a Sagittarius. She had one child, a daughter named Tarika. She was a single mom working two jobs. And they had just moved into their new apartment in 1993. She had a sister named Gloria, but it's pretty much unknown if she had other siblings. She was really close with her dad, Leslie. And I only know this because Leslie becomes this huge advocate in the fight for justice for Linda. I wish there was more info about Linda, but there's not much out there about who she was, like, as far as, like, personality-wise, etc. So it's kind of hard to paint the picture. But you can tell by how people in her life spoke about her that she was a wonderful person. I know based off of um, the On the Case with Paula Zahn episode that she was a loving and doting mother. I know just based off of how her sister talks about how they were with their dad that she was a very that she was just like a great daughter. And I know that she was herself a sister who loved to help out her other sister, Gloria, right? Which is what she was doing on the night of February 6th, 1993, when everything just gets turned upside down. On February 6th, 1993, Linda was watching her sister's two kids, her niece, Shawanika, and her nephew, His age is kind of unknown. There's some papers that say six months. And interestingly enough, it was not mentioned on the Paula Zahn episode. Hmm. Um, But they didn't mention her her niece, who was seven years old at the time, by the way. And this was the night of the murder? Yes. It's interesting that they would leave that out. Yeah. And I don't know why. Maybe they couldn't. Maybe he just didn't want to be interviewed. Or maybe the family just, I don't know. A lot of the times with the editing like of these episodes, a lot of things got cut out yeah. that I think are important, but maybe they feel like it's not. I don't know. Um, so anyways, she was watching her sister's two kids, her niece and her nephew, and she had just brought her daughter, Tarika, to a skating rink. Seems like she was there with friends. You know, she's 15 years old, just having a great old time. I mean, I love the skating rink. You know this. Mm-hmm. Wait, do you go to the skating rink ever? I feel like you don't really I have really not skate. recently. Yeah, Norma's mm-hmm. like, that's not I was never good at it, okay? I was that kid crashing into the wall. Oh, I yep. enjoyed those moments. I enjoyed those did. moments. But of skating course. rink, oh my gosh, it's so much fun, guys. Like, you go with your friends. Even now, they play, like, all the good music. You're trying to dance while on skates. It's... It's pretty awesome. I went recently, like a few months ago, and it was a great experience. So her, you know, her daughter's there having the time of her life with her friends, and she's 15, and that always adds, like, more, I don't know, 
like flair to it, right? Like mm-hmm. you're a teenager, your mom lets you go out with your friends, you're showing off your new moves, maybe your new skates in front of like whoever, your friends and your boo, whatever. It just sounds like a really fun night. So her mom had dropped her off and then she goes back home and that's where the timeline gets a little fuzzy. We know that the two children were with her, her niece, who was seven years old, and her nephew, who was possibly around six months year, six months or so. Mm-hmm. Um, but the niece picks up the story here um, on the episode of On the Case with Paula Zahn, and she basically says that when she got home, her aunt said, hey, I'm going to make us some dinner. At this point, it was around 9.20. They had dropped off the daughter, um, Tarika, at 9 p.m. So she says, I'm going to make us some dinner. I'm going to make us some ramen. Like, you know, it'll be ready in a few minutes. But her niece, she was kind of tired, so she fell asleep. And it seems like the baby was sleeping, too. And unfortunately, when she woke up, she woke up to the most horrific scene ever. She wakes up because the fire alarm is going off. Yes, it's ringing. Mm -hmm. It's really loud. It's not a good feel, especially as a kid. You're just like, what's happening right now? Yeah, I mean, we kind of went through that with the fire alarm going off. That's true. When the apartment burned. Yeah, our apartment did burn down. Yeah. Yeah, and it's terrifying. It's so loud. It's scary. just like, what is going on? It's very, very scary. Happened when we were kids. But, like, yeah, a seven-year-old, I mean, at the time, we were what, like? We were older. We were, like, like 11, 12-ish. I was, like, 12. You were probably, like, 10. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, when I saw this part of the story, it did remind me of that because I remember the fear that Mm -hmm. I was feeling when I I heard the alarm and I saw the smoke. So, like, I can only imagine being seven years old and the same thing happening and just, like, you know, the fear must be, like, tenfold at that point. Yeah. So she goes out into the kitchen and she sees that, like, the steam and the smoke is coming from the pot and it looks like the ramen is actually burning at this point. It's not really clear how much time has passed, but I'm going to say maybe it has been like an hour or so. So you figure like 10 something at this point. And she looks at the floor and Linda is laying on the floor and she's not moving. There is blood everywhere. Everywhere. What does Shawanika do? She gets up. Smart girl. She runs out of the out of the apartment. And she said even in the interview, like she wasn't even paying attention to who was in the house or whatever. She just was like in go mode. She Mm -hmm. ran to a neighbor's house and she told them, like, my aunt is dead. Like the fact that a seven year old says that. Right. Like she just could tell that she was not alive anymore. Right. Right. And so, of course, the neighbor calls the cops. And that's kind of where the story gets a little bit more hazy. Okay. Now, is this a solved or unsolved murder? You want me to just give it away? Like, I guess I do give it away. Oh, wait, you said episode. someone appealed. Yes. So, obviously. So, yes, it is a solved. Okay. It is a solved. It doesn't change anything for me. I still have to, like, really Oh, no, you still have to out. be hearing it out. Yeah. And it's still very twisty and turny. Do you have your neck brace today? I do not. Okay, well, get ready. Hold on. <laughs> Because here we go. So let's talk about the assault itself and and what happened during the murder. That at least what the cops could tell. So she was found face down, 
There was blood on her back and on her left side. They described the wounds, by the way, it was knife wounds, guys. Stab wounds is what did it. They described it as being very, very deep wounds. Deep enough that her lung was actually pierced by the knife. Mm. Okay. Mm. They say that she was stabbed about, well, on Paula's on, it says 12 times or more than 12 times. But like on a lot of the sites, I read that it was around 10 times. Regardless, she was stabbed many times. And the cops just, what confused them about this was it didn't seem like anything was missing I think in her bedroom, there looked like there was a drawer that had been rummaged through, but there wasn't, they couldn't really put their finger on it at that point. Mm. When they got to the scene, she was deceased, by the way. There was no saving her at that point. And the cause of death ended up being that the, the lung, when her lungs were stabbed, like that's what did it for her, unfortunately. So what else did the police determine at the scene? They saw that, of course, there was blood everywhere. They noticed that the phone cord was cut and there was Mm. blood on the cut wire. So they knew that she was trying to make a phone call, probably calling for help when this murderer essentially cuts cuts the line and then proceeds to stab her. Linda did have defensive wounds on her hands. And anytime you hear that, it just means that the person was fighting back. So if you're fighting back, you're going to have cuts on your fingers, et cetera, and things like that. You might have it on like your arms and stuff if you're putting it up to shield your face. But it just shows that like this person was alive during the attack and was fighting back. So I think this timeline is pretty accurate because then her daughter Tarika says that at around 11 o'clock, she called her mom at home Mm. and she was calling her because she was thinking to herself, well, my mom said she was going to pick me up from the skating rink and she's not here and this isn't like her. So she kept calling and then apparently the cops answered. So this was what was interesting. I'm guessing that there had to be another phone in the apartment because one phone was cut. Right. So I'm thinking that there had to be another phone. That's the only thing that makes sense here. Anyways, the cop answers and says, you know, your mom has had an accident. I'm going to come and get you. And when the cop picks her up, he basically tells her that her mom has been murdered. Now, and she describes dropping to the floor and sobbing and crying. And all I could think is when she says this on the on the case with Paula Zahn episode is this is how he tells a teenager that her mom is dead right you just say it like that and now she's on the floor sprawled out like inconsolable Hmm. i don't know i thought that was i'm like okay there has this could have been done in a different way a more delicate way. way yeah right so yeah so she goes back to the apartment it's all taped up her aunt gets there finally as well and her aunt is also told the news right and this aunt, Gloria, this is Linda's sister, mm-hmm. right? And they're very close. So she was just beside herself, too. She just couldn't believe it. Like, who would want to kill Linda? She just, you know, and, and imagine her her daughter, and her Shawanika, kids were there. is there. Exactly. Yeah. Her son was also there, though we don't hear much about him. But the her daughter, Shawanika, is just, oh, my gosh, she is shaken up for a kid to see this, a kid to see somebody laying lifeless on the ground, experience like some sort of fire happening. 
And did Shawanika very, very traumatizing. She, um, she didn't hear anything going on, like any sort of commotion of the fighting and good question stabbing. So she actually did not hear anything at all. She was sound asleep. And she says mm-hmm. that she carried a lot of guilt for many, many years after that because she felt like, well, maybe I'm not remembering something or why couldn't I have, you know, maybe woken up on time and seen or something like that. Or maybe I missed something. She has a lot of guilt from that. But she was only seven years old. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's like, I really hope that like today she's able to let go of that guilt and just know like, listen, you weren't even supposed to see it, right? There's a reason you didn't see it. Right. Because maybe if she saw it, she could have been murdered too. Right. That's exactly what I'm thinking. So I hope she understands that like this could have actually, her not seeing the person could have actually saved her. And and Linda in the moment is probably also thinking, oh my gosh, my poor babies, you know, my poor niece and nephew, they're in the room. And she's also, you know what? Linda's probably praying, please don't come out of the room. You know, so I I think she should think like about Mm. that and hopefully she's able to kind of relinquish that guilt that she's feeling. Tarika, understandably, this is her 15 year old daughter, says that her whole world came crashing down when she realized, you know, my mom is never coming back home. Okay, like I said, they had just gotten everything back on track. Their lives were back on track. So for this to happen she was almost like, where am I going to go? What am I going to do? And there's not much reports on like where she ends up going. That wasn't, you know, I didn't see that anywhere in the articles or even on the show. Um, I can only imagine that Aunt Gloria was probably her caretaker. She was 15. Right. I'm thinking it might have been Aunt Gloria, but they didn't really elaborate on that. And was she the only child or? She was the only child. Yeah. Yeah. She was an only child. Yep. She was. And I know this apartment meant a lot to her because based off of what I read, this was not mentioned on the on the case with Paula Zahn, but this was in the court documents, in the appeal documents. So I think her mom was possibly addicted to crack cocaine. Mm. She smoked crack with some people that we're going to and we're going to talk about them when we get to the suspects list. But. This might have also been the reason why, you know, reaching, getting their own apartment and the mom kind of like, you know, they have their own apartment finally and they're on their own and the mom's working. That's probably why it's also like it was a celebratory moment for them. Um, there Again, there's not much about the mom's drug use, especially on, on, the, on the case with Paula Zahn episode. It's not even mentioned. I just saw it in the court document. OK, so we've heard about the night of the murder. We've heard about the reactions of, of those around her. And now we're on to the suspects. So the first suspect was Billy. Billy was an ex-boyfriend of Linda's, and his name was brought up by her daughter. Uh, so basically, the night before her murder, Billy had called her house and basically said to her, I'm coming over and you're going to open the door. And she said, no, I'm not. And he's like, you better open the door or else. So, again, Mm -hmm. that was the night before her murder. So February 5th. Kind of odd. A little odd. Could be coincidental, but a little odd. What are the chances, right? Okay. 
So they're just wondering, like, okay, could Billy have just come in over? Like, maybe Billy came over on February 6th instead of February 5th, as he promised to do. Okay? Mm-hmm. So, of course, the police officers decide to, you know, they needed to question Billy. But before they could, Billy calls the police. And Billy says, is Linda Robinson dead? And the cops are just like, uh, what? And he's like, is she dead? And they were like, okay, what's your last name, Billy? And he hangs up the phone. I mean. That's even more suspicious. Very, very That's a yellow flag. That's a yellow flag. Yes, very suspicious behavior. So, of course, they, they figure out Billy's last name and they pull his criminal record. But there's nothing in his criminal record that's even close to this. So already they're like, okay. But of course they want to talk to Billy because it's still weird that he called to ask. Not that many people knew that Linda Robinson had been murdered. Only a handful of people because it's 1993. News has not traveled that fast. I mean, unless, you know, when the cop told her daughter the news, I mean, was she still at the skating rink? Yeah, she was at the skating rink. Did he say it in front of people where it's like... It seems like he said it in front of some people. So, So, rumors fly. Rumors fly, but but still, what are the chances, right? So, Billy says that he heard it from a neighbor, whether it's Linda's neighbor or someone else's neighbor, it's not entirely clear. Um, And he has an alibi. He says he was with his girlfriend, Okay, Billy, you got a girlfriend and you're telling Linda that you're coming over no matter what. You see what I mean? This is ridiculous. The audacity is the audacity for me. But anyways, Mm -hmm. he says, you know, my girlfriend was with my girlfriend. So, of course, that's his alibi. Um, But it's not airtight because his girlfriend says that during the time he was with her on the night of the murder that he did leave for a chunk of time. Where were you, Billy? Yeah, where were you? Where were you? Where were you? Hmm, interesting. All right. We're going to go to the next next suspect, but, you know, keep Billy in the back of your mind. The next, next suspect on the list, suspect number two, is Lee Chandler. So Lee is one of Linda's friends, and he's introduced as a friend, to well, Linda introduces him or mentions him to her daughter Tarika and says, "This is my friend." Usually, when parents say this, like, "This is my friend," and they're like, you know, that ain't your friend, right? Right. So that my, my immediately when she said that, "This is my friend," I was like, "Uh, uh-uh, <laughs> that ain't your mom's friend. That's not your mom's friend. That's her boo thing." So, um, of course, my mind went to it's definitely more than friends. Well, it turns out Lee was a married man. And apparently when he met Linda, him and his wife were separated. But now the cops, their minds are racing because they're thinking to themselves, could Lee have done this to Linda? Could he have gone to her house and snapped at her? Maybe she said something about, you know, telling his wife or whatever, and maybe he snapped and that's what happened. Could it have been that? And the reason the cops are thinking this is because I don't think I mentioned, but there was no forced entry at the house. Mm. So they're like, okay, Billy, an ex-boyfriend, she knew him, right? So she might open the door to him. Lee, a friend, quote unquote, she knows him. She might open the door to him. Of course, they question Lee. 
And he says, he's honest. He says he was involved with her sexually. He also says, though, that he is completely innocent. His alibi is his wife. Of course, again, they're skeptical. Anytime your alibi is like a significant other, they're going to have question marks because they know that your significant other could lie for you. Absolutely. Same with like, even if it's like family, you know, anytime mm-hmm. someone's like my mom, I was at home with my mom, the cops, they're just like, uh-uh, were you really? Because mommy's going to cover for you. So it's kind of like that. So then Lee takes a polygraph exam and Lee does not pass the polygraph exam. Right. What? Yes. And that part I read in court documents. Apparently it showed that he was deceptive or, or his emotions were just kind of out of, out of whack. I don't know. And, and the cops for a long time, I will say this, they keep Lee at the top of their list and they even tell Tarika, so Linda's daughter, who's a teenager, they tell her that they, they are pretty convinced Lee did it, but they just don't have the evidence to hold him. They try, of course, like, you know, he had some warrants out for his arrest for other things. And of course, they held him on that. And they were hoping they could gather evidence to, you know, be able to bring a murder charge against him. Mm -hmm. But they didn't they couldn't find anything. So, I mean, you guys are probably wondering now, like, do they even have evidence right at the crime at the crime scene? There were actually there was actually a lot of blood left by the killer. Really? Yeah. I feel like that never happens. That never happens. I mean, we saw this in last week's case with Shakita, and there was what? She was stabbed tons of times. Her blood was everywhere, but the killer's blood was nowhere to be found, which was interesting because, like I said last week, when you're stabbing someone that many times, you might get cut. Yep. It's almost like, I mean, it's almost a given that you're going to get cut. I don't know how that person left the scene and was not cut, never left blood and stuff like that. I mean, it ended up being her husband, right? But that is pretty rare, I would say. So this, in this case, yes, the killer left blood. And the reason they knew it was the killer's blood is because it was throughout the house. It was in the bathroom. It was in the in her room. It was on some envelopes. And it was like dime-sized drops of blood. Hmm you know, like from like a fresh cut and Linda never left the kitchen. The whole struggle happened in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. So they knew it had to be someone else's blood. Again, it's 1993 though. So there's not much they can do with this evidence because it's not what it is today. You know, CODIS, all this stuff is not what it is or where it's at. Like it is today. Okay. Mm -hmm. So they just held on to that evidence in the evidence room. So based off of just those two suspects, I mean, the case, they have the suspects, right? But the case ends up going cold. And it's really sad because it's like her daughter is wondering, like, who did this to my mom? Like, there's so many people in her life that care about her and they just want answers. They need closure, right? They deserve that. They absolutely deserve it. And it's like they're not getting it. And her dad, especially, his name is Leslie, he just would fight for her all the time. He would call the cops up and just ask them what's going on with the case. Even her niece called them up and even like looked up a cold detective's name online and called him directly and just said, what's going on with my aunt's case? You know, because everyone wants closure. And what made them open the case again 
in around, like I would say around 2013 is because her, you know, Linda's dad, Leslie called them and he spoke to them as a parent and just said, please imagine how you would feel if it was your kid. And that's 20 years later, 20 years later, guys. But he gets someone on the phone who is touched by this enough to say, let's just reopen the case and see what we got, because we know we got some blood blood evidence. It's 2013. We could probably run this now. Mm -hmm. Maybe there'll be a match. And and that's what does it for them. That that let's talk parent to parent type of conversation. And that is where the case takes an interesting turn. It's 2013, and the detectives have decided to open up the case again, and it's been 20 years at this point. So what happens next? They go ahead and they test the blood evidence, the the blood evidence I talked about, where they said, you know, they they noticed that there were blood spatters in other places, not really spatter, but like just droplets, Mm -hmm. and they had saved that evidence. And luckily for them, the evidence had not degraded. You know, it had not, not degraded, disintegrated. Is it disintegrated? Why do I'm I do sure. this every week? Every week I'm saying, <laughs> what does... <sighs> Anyways, the blood had not it was broken still down. Intact. Right, it was still it was intact. Still intact. It, was just, yeah. it was still intact, so let's say that. They send it off to the lab, and it's going through testing, and the testing actually takes four months I don't know why it takes that long. Yeah, I'm always interested. I would love to know why it takes four months, and is there any way to put a rush on it? And if it was a rush, like, how long does a rush order take? I'm just curious. I mean, it, it, you know, it's very sensitive stuff that they're working with, and plus it's, like, super old evidence, so you got to think of it as if they mess this up, they don't have any left, They want to get it right. They want to get it right, so maybe that's why it takes four months. While this evidence is being tested in the lab, the detective decides to call Leslie, who is Linda's dad, right? Mm -hmm. And he lets him know that, you know, things are being tested and that they likely will have a suspect from this. Unfortunately, before they get the results of it, Leslie passes away. Yeah, I know. He had been fighting so many years for justice for his daughter at least he died knowing that they were processing the evidence and that they were close to getting someone or knowing something leslie guess what justice ends up being served ultimately they get a match via codis ding 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 and guess who it matched to was it lee Nope, it wasn't Lee. It wasn't Lee? It was not Lee. He was not lying. Wow. I know. Goes to show those types of tests are not I know. He took a polygraph, but honestly, he was probably just nervous. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, he took a polygraph and failed is what I mean to say. But, yeah, he was probably just nervous. What's the other dude's name? Billy? Billy. How could I forget? Billy, her ex-boyfriend, who called her up and said, I'm coming over. Who was gone for a few hours. Right. So where was Billy at? Yeah, so it wasn't Billy either. What? Yes. It's not Billy, guys. It's not Billy or Lee. It is James Mitchell. Who the hell is that? Right. Who the hell is that? (laughs) Exactly. Everybody's wondering this at this point. But CODIS does not lie. 
it is James Mitchell. So James Mitchell at this point is 50 years old in 2013. And when I watched the On the Case with Paula Zahn episode, they did not tell me what connection he had to Linda. Okay. So I was baffled. But when I went to like the articles and read a little bit, it turns out that he was Linda's former neighbor when she was a kid. What? Yes. They had gone to school together too as children. That's so random. So what was what was their involvement right. in their adult lives? I see that is where things get foggy. Because I cannot figure out what their involvement was in adult life. Now, I know that Linda, she did smoke crack with um, Lee. And that's in the court documents that that was like their thing to do. I do not think that there was any type of relationship there, like in terms of like even friendship. I'm not sure. I do know that on the night he came there, it seems like he immediately went into attack mode. And I only say this because Linda was on the phone and apparently she was on the phone with like her friend of many years. His name is George something. And he reported hearing Linda say, okay, there's someone at the door. Hold on. And when she opens the door, she's just like, okay, okay, okay. Like, you know, when you're trying to calm someone down. Mm -hmm. So it just sounded like this person came to the door and they were in immediate like attack mode. Like, you know, where she was kind of like, okay, like she sounded very submissive is how George described it. Okay. So, and then the phone line was cut and he didn't know what was happening. So to me, it's like, I don't know. She opened the door to you maybe cause she knew you. Yeah, absolutely. But he came in swinging essentially. And I don't know. I just don't think like they were, I don't know if they were friends, like just based off of that. But I mean, you could open the door to a friend and they could be acting wild also. True. So it could have been that they are friends, but I don't know. This was the next level. So let's talk a little bit about like what the cops think and, and what goes on there, because the cops also are baffled. They're just as baffled as Norma and to, uh, just as baffled as the people listening. They determine like, OK, this actually matches up. I mean, not only is there a match in CODIS, right? The mixture, like, there are some things that had, like, a mixture of their blood. Like, for example, the phone line he cut, it had both their bloods mixed together. And apparently when that happens, it's because both of you are bleeding at the same time. Mm. There just wasn't any explanation for, like, why your blood was in her room, why your blood was in the kitchen, why your blood was on the phone line, you know? He tried to, of course, spin a story during trial because... Before trial and stuff like that, he refused to give a confession. In fact, when they finally caught up to him in Florida, remember, this case was in Washington. They catch up to him 20 years later. They say he's under arrest for murder. And this fool responds, which one? What? Yes. The audacity. The audacity. Like, who are you? Who do you think you are? So he murdered other people? Right. So there's also that. Possibly. But the show doesn't go into that. And I haven't found any articles that, you know, substantiate his claim. You know, at this point, sometimes it's just ego for these maniacs. But I don't know. Did he kill other people? I have no idea. But that was his response. Of course, yeah. Denial, denial, denial. While he denies it, 
all during the whole like questioning phase and stuff like that. And then during trial, he gets on the stand and tells a story. Now, this I got from the Court of Appeal documents, okay? He says that him and Linda were friends and that he was over at her house and the kids were there and that she got a knock on the door and some dude came in and like started pushing her around and kind of pushed him and he cut his hand and I don't know, like he left and the dude left and then he eventually left and then whoever came in after him must have murdered her. Some sort of rendition like that. And the, and no one believed him the jury didn't believe him the judge didn't believe him i don't even know if his own attorney believed him i don't know sheesh it's not like there's another person's dna mixed in there it's just you it's literally his dna come on like make it make sense Mm mm-hmm And the fact that you had the audacity to say which one when you, you know, when they say you're under arrest for a murder. So, like, you're trying to paint yourself as a saint, but then you say which one. So, no one believes you, James Mitchell. No one believes you. So, what's the Mm -hmm. end result? How does the story end? Well, James Mitchell is eventually convicted in 2016. So, at this point, it's been 23 years. In 2016, he's convicted of first degree murder of Linda Robinson and he is sentenced to 37 years in prison. At the time of his sentencing, I, I want to say he was like in his like at like 53 or something like that. Mm-hmm. So the judge felt like, you know, they could have given him a maximum of 41 years, but they're just like 37, he's gonna be dead by like the time 37 years pass. But I mean 90. I mean, I was like, well, what if he ain't? I don't know. I would hope that at that age, he doesn't even, he can't even hurt anybody. Right. I mean, but that was the judge's rationale for giving 37 years versus 41 years. They're kind of just like, ah, there's no real difference there. Now, the daughter's impact statement at the, at the sentencing hearing was really, really sad Um, You know, so many years had gone by. At this point, she's in her late 30s. She has her own kids. Mm -hmm. And she's feeling the, you know, she's feeling the void in her life because of her mom not being there, because of James Mitchell's coward self taking a life. Like, Mm -hmm. James Mitchell, you are a coward. You are a coward. How dare you? How dare you take someone's life? Who do you think you are? Talking about which one. And what for? You yeah. Know? It's just like, I'll never understand it. Never. I don't get it. It's better if we don't understand. It means we don't think like them. Mm-hmm. So here's what um, her daughter says in the impact statement. And she emphasized the fact that she's an only child. But she says, when my mom took her last breath, I did too. And that was sad. And that was a part of the impact statement that was shared on, on the case with Paula Zahn. I couldn't find the rest of it anywhere else, but it's really sad. Mm-hmm. It's really sad because, like I said, now she's 38. She has her own kids. There's a void in her life because her mom's not there. The kids will never meet their grandmother. And it's, you know, it's really just been a painful thing all around. And Linda's dad was not able to see her get justice. But I hope he's resting easy knowing now, you know, that she did get justice. Right. She can't be brought back to life, but thankfully we can put away the monster that is James Mitchell. 
Because not for nothing, him saying which murder it could be ego or it could be real. So we don't want anybody like that out in these streets. Absolutely. We don't. One, the ending threw such a it wrench really in threw it. me off. Literally. And, and just for people who are going to be wondering this, the cops never, ever had James Mitchell as a suspect, ever. He never came across their list. So honestly, if it wasn't for that DNA, if it wasn't for the CODIS match, because he had been convicted of very like heinous crimes, he had assaulted people with a deadly weapon. He had done all kinds of crimes that lines up with this kind of behavior. Mm-hmm. So if it wasn't for that, he would have never gotten caught. If his DNA was never put in CODIS, if, you know and what I mean? He would if they still keep doing the assaults with the deadly weapon. Yeah. So it's good that he's off the streets. It's good. It's definitely a good thing. He doesn't belong anywhere else other than off the streets. Mm-hmm. So, and that, I guess, concludes today's episode. That is the Linda Robinson case. And we really do hope that her family is doing better. And, you know, I can only imagine how they feel, you know, But I really hope her niece, who is now in her 30s, is really able to let go of the guilt and just know, like, listen, you weren't supposed to you weren't supposed to be the savior in that case. Mm -hmm. There's a reason that you weren't supposed to be the savior. If anything, this is a cautionary tale. I don't know if Linda opened the door to this guy, but you never know. I mean, I mean, even if he was her friend and she let him in, like you who is expecting that? Who's expecting a friend to attack you? Right. You know, just it just goes to show just be careful. Just be careful. Get a ring door door, whatever, a ring doorbell. Mm-hmm. Get a ring doorbell. Record all that stuff. It's important. Every week that we do this is just another reminder that we live in a very spooky world. A very dangerous world. Very. And you really need to be keeping your head on a swivel. I'm not trying to make you guys paranoid, but there are people who, you know, are delighted by doing these things to other people. They get off on, you know, torturing people and murdering people and things like that. And it's like, it's not right, but these people do exist. Evil does exist in this world. And I just want everyone to be safe. Be safe and... Tune in next Tuesday for a new episode of It's the Mystery for Me. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Mm